I was out on a walk Friday afternoon, preached the Friday night service, and uh, just kind of clearing my head, centering my spirit, and uh, it had been a beautiful day on Friday. And then all of a sudden, I got caught in this wild rainstorm, and I hid myself underneath this little tree and just sat there for like a few minutes, watched the rain coming down around me, and the smell of rain was in the air. Don't you love the smell of rain? It's so good. And I thought, I had this thought while I was sitting in that rainstorm. I was like, what am I hiding myself from the rain for? The rain is like glorious. And so I decided boldly to march back out of the rain. And I got to tell you, it was like one of the most refreshing things I've done in a long time. And I remembered as I was walking that beautiful verse in the book of Zechariah, where Zechariah says, ask the Lord for rain. And I thought, oh, God, there's a prayer. And so this morning, as we gather together in the house of God, would you do something, family of God? Would you just lift your hands like this? We're asking the Lord for the rain of his presence to fall upon us. We know that we can't do a single thing apart from the Holy Spirit. We cannot worship God apart from the Holy Spirit. We don't have joy apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't love one another as we've been called to apart from the Holy Spirit. We're calling upon God to send the rain of his spirit down upon us. And so, Jesus, we say... Send forth your Holy Spirit. Bring the rain upon our lives, our drought-stricken lives, the dry ground, the weary land. Would you come? We're called to ask the Lord for rain. And the good thing, Jesus, is that you say that if we ask the Lord, your Father in heaven, for the Spirit, you give the Spirit to us without limit. And so this morning, we say, send forth your Holy Spirit upon us. Elevate our praise. Elevate our our worship. Cause us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray, fill us once again this morning. Granted, we're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Before we worship this morning, I got to introduce you to a friend of ours. This is Seth Fowler from Mechanicsville, Georgia, or Virginia. I say that. There there might be a Mechanicsville in Georgia, not likely. But he's here leading worship for us. One more time, can you give a warm round of applause, a a great new life. He's welcome to Seth. Let's worship together. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to be with you. So if you would, let's just get our hands together. Let's stand up and let's just give worship and praise to the one who deserves it all. Amen. Come on. We worship you, Lord. Come on. We worship the God. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. And he opened the prison doors, and he parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Come on, let's lift this up. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house. Our God is surely in His place. We won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out Your praise. We shout out Your praise, oh God. We sing. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. He hung up on that cross And he rose up from that grave My God still rolling souls away 
give all praise, God. We give it to you this morning. Come on, let's sing this out as a testimony. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. So let the house of the Lord sing praise. Come on, we were the beggars. for a savior this morning. He is our refuge. He is our strength.
are victorious. You are the word over it all. Oh, you're the name we're running to. Yes, you are. There is no one, there is no one but Jesus. No other name, no other name. But I say. There's this tendency 
in this Christian sphere, you know, we all live in, where maybe we feel like God is a present help to those who are willing to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, or maybe um, those that are strong enough to ignore the pain for a little while, or or they can just get through it and they'll just trust one day it'll be okay. But Psalm 46.1 tells us that God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. So what that means for me right now is like, of course God is everywhere. He's, he's everywhere all the time, right? But he is resting in this place with us in this moment. He is present right now. And I don't know your journey. You don't know my journey. I'm a visitor here. But what I do know is that God knows and he is present for you wherever you're at. I want us to lean into the Savior who isn't there to save only those who are tough or strong, but he's there to save the ones who are willing to say, God, I bow down, I need you. So if you would, I've got some stuff that I wanna bring to the foot of the cross today. Just to be real, I got stuff in my own heart that I need to bring. So if you have something to bring as well, I want you to just open up your hands with me. And Lord, we say that you are the refuge. You are the tower. You are the present help. Not on our own accord, not our own strength. We don't live uh, by our own motives, Lord. We want to live through you. Because in you we breathe, we live, and we have our meaning. Come on, let's just sing this together. If you would, just lift your hands to him. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, we sing Jesus. Jesus. Our strong tower, our strong tower, Jesus, Jesus, there's no one higher, there's no one higher, Jesus, Jesus, call on your name, our strong tower, our strong tower, our strong tower. our eyes on him.
rising sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Yes, Lord, we lift our eyes to you and set our gaze on your face, Jesus. more worthy than you. picture of, of some of us, what we're doing in this room when we think about our lives and the circumstances we find ourselves in is um, we're like white knuckling life. We're holding on desperately for certain things, but there are other things that we are holding on to, of, to them out of sheer fear of what might happen to us if we did not hold them that way. I think about the words that Paul pens in his letter to the church the book of Colossians, he says this. We'll go into God is so good here in just a second. He says these words. He says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn after all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, 
All things have been created through him and for him. And here's the thing I want you to hear this morning. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Friends, the the picture that Paul paints for us is that the kind of God that our God is, the kind of Savior that Jesus is, is that he is, in fact, the one holding all of the parts of our lives together. Those parts, those very parts that you are white knuckling and going, God, if I took my hand off of this, who knows what would happen? He, in fact, says to you, I know exactly what would happen. I'm the one holding them. Friends, I think some of you, I think of the stories I hear about your families, your your marriages. You, you have these fears about your kids and what's going on. You know what God says? You can keep holding it as long as you want, but guess who holds it together? Him. You think about your finances, your career, the way that job has not worked out the way that you wish it would. And he said, you can keep holding it if you want, but at the end of the day, who holds it together? Church, you can say it out loud. At the end of the day, who holds it together? He does. You think about these fears about living out your purpose and your calling. If you're walking in the will of God, what God says is you can in fact let it go because who holds it all together? Him. And you know what that is a sign of with God? It's simply a sign of his goodness. This is the kind of God that he is, that he would, he would not look at you and go, hey, would you hold this for me? He says, I've got it. So, man, can we go back into God is so good here in a moment? Friends, you can release those things this morning. He is worthy to be trusted with it. For some of you, you need to physically show that. You need to open your hands up. Some of you, you need to sit on your knees for a little bit. And repent of the ways that you have white-knuckled it to your very detriment. Let's continue to sing this morning.
morning, New Life East. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are a guest with us today, we are especially glad that you've joined us. You'll notice in the row that you're seated in, there's some guest cards. You can simply take your phone out, scan the QR code that's on that card, and or you can bring it with you to... Uh, where do we, where, what are we doing? Connect Central, right outside of these doors. We have a gift for you. We'd love to say thank you for being a part of a weekend here at New Life East. A couple of things I want to tell you about. One, um, some of you guys, you heard us announce last week this discipleship experience called Rooted that is getting ready to roll out here in just a couple of weeks. And we announced the registrations were open. And uh, I am pleased to tell you that you guys filled up every registration spot in like six hours which means that thing is full. But here's the deal. Um, things can change. So after service, uh, during fellowship hour, Jenna Stoddard, one of our administrative assistants, she will be in Connect Central. We're, uh, we're holding a, a, what do you call it? Wait list. I can't talk this morning, guys. We have a wait list. Not just for this session, but Rooted is something that's going to happen continuously around here. So the next session will start in June. If you want to be one of the first people on that list, we want to invite you to sign up for that. So meet Jenna in Connect Central. Sign up on the wait list. I think I got that. The second thing that I want to tell you is this. Listen, some of you are, you, most of you in this room are serve-approved volunteers, which means we have background checked you. We have made sure that you are safe to be around other humans and help and serve them. Here's what we want to specifically ask. There are a lot of you in this room who have served in family ministries and kids ministries in the past. Listen, last weekend, kids ministries hit capacity. We had to turn families away, which yes, Andrew, is a good thing, but is also a bad thing because that means, listen church, what that means is that people who show up to New Life East who have never been a part of this space, potentially could show up and be told there's not room for you here. And we don't want that to be the dialogue that they receive when they walk in. So what we're asking of you is if you are a kids approved serve member, go talk to Pastor Shailene or Katie Hoover after this service. Tell them, hey, I'm ready to get back in the game. I will serve. I'm ready to do it. Sounds good? Okay, fantastic. Thank you for letting me ramble for a while and say all sorts of random things. Why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to someone around you? Okay, all right, good morning, the Lord be with you. Yeah, no, the Lord be with you. All right, it's good to see your faces this morning. 
Uh, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. So good to have you in our house this morning. I kind of want to like have our new people like raise their hands, but I know people get uncomfortable with that. And really the only reason I would do that is because I want you to know that we see you. And uh, this is, I woke up this morning just thinking about the New Life East church family and how great of a church family it is. And I was calling out your names in the presence of the Lord this morning. And I was like, man, thank God that we get to have this experience of being the church together. So if this is your first time with us, uh, you know, I'm going to toot our horn here. New Life East is a great church. I hope that you hang out with us. Come and see us at Connect Central after the service. And also, great way to make friends, join us for fellowship hour between the services. We have coffee and donuts and friendship in abundance for you. So good to see you this morning. We're in the book of 1 Kings, uh, chapter 2 this morning. The title of our series here is called Kings and Kingdoms. We're preaching it across all of the New Life congregations uh, here in Colorado Springs. And just to give you a little backdrop recap, and then we'll jump right into the text of Scripture. It was never uh, the will of God to have kings over Israel. Do you know why that is? Because singular leaders with too much power are troublesome. Can I get an amen from somebody? And so it was never God's will to have that. But at one point in the history of Israel, the Israelites were like, please, please, God, give us a king. And the Lord says, ah, they're rejecting me. Like God's will was always that he would reign directly over them. And so God's like, they're rejecting me as king, but I'm going to give them a king. And uh, that king is going to be troublesome. And as we see the history of Israel unfold, it turns out that kings are troublesome. And we have uh, one guy, the first king of Israel, Saul, turns out to be a complete disaster. And then we have this guy, David, rises up in Israel. David is a man after God's heart. We read about him in First and in Second Samuel. And David does some stuff really, really great. And he also does some stuff really, really bad. And he proves to be also pretty troublesome. But the institution has been created at this point, and the Lord is committed to it. And then we come to the book of First Kings, and what we see is that King David has slowed down a little bit, and he's kind of asleep at the wheel, and there's this vacuum of power, and there's this guy, Adonijah, rises up. He's one of David's sons, and the scripture says that he exalted himself and said, I'm going to be the next king of Israel, and that creates a whole bunch of chaos, and David somehow comes to his senses through the intersection of Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan, and David says, no, 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 it's not going to be Adonijah, it's actually going to be my king Solomon, my son Solomon. He's the true king of Israel. And so we saw last week that David makes good his word, anoints him with oil, and Solomon is announced as the next king of Israel. And then we pick up the narrative here in 1 Kings chapter uh, 2 with David having installed Solomon as king. He now begins to give him his charge as David is beginning to pass into death. He says this, hear the word of the Lord from 1 Kings chapter 2. Now, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave charge to Solomon, his son. He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong and act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as it's written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me, namely that if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now, so this is like a really good start, you know? Nice charge, David, like you're telling your son Solomon to obey the Lord and that's a good thing. And then all of a sudden we get this like, right? Like hard right. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me. 
what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner son of Ner and Amasa son of Jether. You don't probably know about that, but if you go back to the book of 2 Samuel, you can read all about it. What he did to the two commanders, these guys, he killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. So deal with him, David says, you know. According to your wisdom, and Solomon, as we're going to learn in the book of 1 Kings here, is a very wise guy. Deal with him according to your wisdom, David says, but uh, hey, don't let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Oh, okay. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for they stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day that I went to Mahanaim. And when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now don't consider him innocent. David says, you're a man of wisdom, and you will know what to do to him. Uh, bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Now, I preached this message at Friday Night Church a couple nights ago. And when I read this verse, a guy in the back of the room shouted a really loud amen. <laughs> and I love getting amens when I'm preaching, but that was a weird amen to get. And so I didn't like really call him out, but I was like, that's a really interesting life verse to have, isn't it? And apparently we hit on that guy's life verse. There are better ones to pick. We'll just say that. So then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. And he had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. And so Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, and his, room was, his rule was firmly established. Everybody say firmly established. And this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, all the scripture bears witness to you. And we believe that because that is what you said. You said that the whole law, the prophets, the psalmists, all of them, in one way or another, we're talking about you. And so this morning we're asking that you would give us eyes to see your face and ears to hear your voice and hearts to discern where you're hiding for us in this text of scripture. Help us know who you are. Help us align our lives with who you are. And we pray, help us be comforted by the knowledge of who you are. Grant this, we pray. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, and all God's people said, thank you. You know, it is interesting. I've been in the church all my life. And one of the things that you sometimes hear people say about the Bible is they'll say that the Bible is like this sweet and simple book that's full of wonderful spiritual, uh, you know, advice and platitudes and nice things like that. And that if we just read all of these nice, sweet things in the Bible, and we continue with our 365 days of Christian inspiration and all of that, that life will just be wonderful and simple and sweet and nice. And then you actually get to reading the Bible. And you're like, what in the world is going on here? And there are nice parts that are really comforting. And then you have these parts where it's like, and do not let his gray head go down to the grave in blood. And you go, you know, I just didn't, I don't really understand how this is edifying for me. But the truth is that all of the scripture bears witness to Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about in some form or fashion. And we believe this just like I prayed because Jesus himself said it over and over and over again in his ministry. He said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. 
and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so we're not going to read the scriptures rightly unless we read them with reference to Jesus. So the question that you've got to ask any text of scripture when you come to it is how does this or that text reveal the eternal purpose of God to us in Jesus Christ the Lord? And I want to make two observations out of 1 Kings 2 that I think bear witness to who Jesus Christ always is for us. Observation number one, I want to say this to you, that it is the will of God to bring disorder to an end in God's good world. It's the will of God to bring disorder to an end in God's good world. One Old Testament commentator says that there are all these, it doesn't really come through in English, but there are all of these little textual clues in 1 Kings chapter 2 that these various people that David is talking about, really what these are is these are like adversaries in the house of God that are very similar to the way that Satan was the adversary to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so Solomon then here in this text is positioned as something like a new Adam. And Solomon's job is to drive the adversaries of God out of the kingdom of God so that the reign of God, the garden of God, can be reestablished among the people of God. In fact, so emphatic is the narrator on this point that he ends our little text by saying Solomon's reign was firmly established. And then you read the rest of the text of Scripture through 1 Kings chapter 2, and you see Solomon systematically putting down all of these adversaries of God. And the narrator reiterates himself at the end of verse 46b, where he says that the kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. And so I say to you one more time that it is the will of God to bring disorder to an end in God's good world. And he does that through the agency of the king, Jesus Christ the Lord. This perspective, by the way, is all the way through Scripture. This isn't just a tangential kind of side point or whatever, but this is really the main theme of Scripture that the other themes of Scripture collect around. Think, for instance, about the psalmist, the first psalm, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the... Do you know it? I do this every week. You're going to have to start reading your Bibles, you know, so that we can do this together. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And then the psalmist pivots, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked. We're doing great, guys. The way of the wicked, it leads to destruction. So what is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying that there are these two ways. And to align ourselves with the reign of God is to be established in the peace and the flourishing of God. To misalign with it is to basically put an expiration date on ourselves. We're not going to live long in God's world. God will bring disorder to an end. This carries through the entire Psalms. We read all of the Psalms. They share this perspective. The prophets are almost exclusively preoccupied with this. And then the whole thing really comes together in the person of Jesus who is the true king that's, that Solomon was just sort of a prefigurement of? And Paul writes this of Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking now about the stretch of history, the end of history. And he says, then the end will come when he, he's talking about Jesus here, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. So if you ask the question of the Apostle Paul, what is King Jesus doing right now? What does Paul answer? He's putting, 
Are we, are we together here? Yeah, he's putting all of his enemies under his feet. Just like Solomon, through the stretch of 1 Kings chapter 2, was putting his enemies under his feet, Jesus Christ right now, by the agency of his spirit, is putting all of his enemies under his feet. And Paul says this in verse 26, that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. What is Jesus Christ the Lord, the true king of the world, doing right now? He's bringing disorder to an end in God's good world. And I say to you this morning that this is not just a tangential thing in the gospel. This is like the central message of the gospel. And we can take refuge in these things. It's part of the good news. It's part of what we confess when we say Jesus is Lord. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? It is the will of God to bring disorder to an end in God's good world. And I've been sitting with these ideas for most of my life and reading the Bible for most of my life. And one of the things that I've become firmly convinced of is that this sort of impulse in the heart of God to bring disorder to an end, really, this is just sort of, I think that this is the father heart of God coming through over the household of God, which is his entire world. How many of you uh, in this room, you had like what you would consider to be a good dad growing up? Can I raise your hands real high? Because, wow, more of us than I would expect. Man, and some of you are good dads in the room. And so can we give it up for all the good dads in the room? And can we also give it up for the good dads that are the dads that are trying? Because they're also, and there are some bad dads in the room and you can repent later. And so that's going to be great. I had a good dad growing up. I still have a good dad. My dad is 68 years old. I love my dad. My dad is a man of uh, compassion and he is a man of integrity. He is a principled man. And my dad also is just like a presence when he walks in the room. And I got three younger siblings, and I can remember we would have these days, you know, my dad was just a hardworking guy. He worked like 60 hours a week at the car dealership, you know, and my, I, my poor mom, you know, is with us four kids all day long. And my mom is no pushover. She's a woman of integrity and virtue, character and strength and all of that. But those are long days with these kids, you know, and just a cantankerous group of people. And I know, I know this, that my mom had very many days where the prayer of the psalmist was her prayer. How long, oh Lord. <laughs> and we'd just be kind of at it, you know, and just chaos raging in the house. And then all of a sudden, we would hear the door from the garage into the kitchen just bang, shut. And it was like nobody could like open and close a door like my dad. Boom! That, door would shut. And I'm telling you, it was like whoa, the presence of dad had showed up in the house, you know, and everybody, you know, you're playing your video games and you drop your controller and the fighting ceases, you know, and everybody lines up at the door. Hi, father. How are you doing? Did you have a good? <laughs> it's a small exaggeration there, but only a small one. But it's something about the presence of dad. It always just when dad walked into the room, it just always seemed to put disorder to an end, that's what a good dad, I think what any good parent actually does, is that our presence is an ordering presence in the house. And when you look at the sweep of human history, there are these moments where you see great evils, great disorders brought to an end. And I say to you that those are moments where the presence of God shows up. I think about in our country, the overturning of slavery in our country. But that wasn't just something where it was like, well, you know, one group happened not to like slavery very much and they kind of got the upper hand. So, you know, shucks, they got it. Do you know what that was? That was God the Father through his King, Jesus Christ, by the agency of the Holy Spirit, breaking the arm of evil in our world. That was God showing up to bring about his rule and reign in his world. Or I think about the fall of Nazism in Germany during the Second World War. 
One way of reading that, a secular, a secular way of reading that would just be like, well, you know, it just finally they, there were a couple strategic miscalculations there, and if they just played their card better, you know, it might have survived. And no, Nazism was an affront to the will of God. And there are like moments in history where God stands up and says, that's enough. We are not doing that anymore. I think about the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Iron Curtain falling in East Germany. You could multiply examples as you think back to human history. The way that the Bible writers think about those moments is they go, oh, that's God rising up and establishing his kingdom and his world. Martin Luther King Jr., great civil rights activist, said that the moral arc of the universe is long, he said, but it bends towards justice. And do you know why King was able to say that? Because he was a Christian. And because he knew that the universe by itself does not just tend towards justice. It tends towards disorder. The scientist says it tends, they say that it tends towards entropy, that the whole thing is just going to fall apart. King could say that the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice because he knew that there was a strong arm bending the moral arc of the universe towards justice. We only ever have peace and safety, and security, and justice in God's world, because God decides to rise up and order it that way through the agency of his true king. Can I get an amen from somebody? But it's not just the very large things in God's world, but it's also the small things that pertain to our lives. I think about the years that Mandy and I have spent together, and I mean, I can remember early on in our marriage thinking, you know, at some point you get through the hard stuff, and then it's all just raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, you know, and our 23 years of being married, 25 years of being together, it just feels like season after season after season. There's always something where it feels like your back is against the wall and you just don't know what to do. I can remember years ago being in one such season where we were in the middle of this situation where it felt like the adversaries of God were at us. They were coming at us from seven directions and our backs were against the wall And there were things that we loved and believed in that were about to come to an end. And how many of you in this room have ever been in that moment? Raise your hand. You like, it's like lights out, game over. There is no escape from this. That's where we were. And I remember sitting on the back porch with one of my close friends, Mandy and I were back there with him and we're laying the whole situation out in front of him. Well, this is going on and this is going on. And those people are saying that. And this people, this group of people are saying this thing. And as you can see, there is no way through The only thing that we can do is pull the ripcord and just bail out of this whole situation. I remember saying that to my friend. And he just sat there taking it all in. And I I remember watching him and he's just kind of shaking his head. And I thought he was just sort of extending sympathy to me. Like, oh, those poor aren't, you know. And I said, I remember, so I got done with my whole monologue to him about how awful things were. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And he said, yeah, no. What do you mean, yeah, no? Don't you understand what I just said to you? All of these things that I just told you about? Do you, are, 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 like, are, you, are you dumb? Like, do you not get it? Don't you understand that this is game over? It's not going to happen. I remember him saying, no, no. No, I know. I know what it looks like. But it's not going to happen. God will not let that happen. That's against the will of God. And I was like, All right, man. I mean, you got more confidence than I do, but it only takes this much faith, right? Faith is small as a mustard seed. And within one week, miraculously, All of the evil that was encamped against us, somehow it broke and the situation turned totally inside out. 
flipped 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Mandy, I just, Mandy and I just stood there in mute astonishment at the goodness of God. This is who our God is. Think about what the psalmist says in Psalm 35, one of the great psalms. And if you don't know this one, locate yourself in it as soon as possible. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Think about that. Contend, O God. Contend, O God, with those who are contending against me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue to me. Uh, Say to me, I am your salvation. Ruthless witnesses, the psalmist says in verse 11, they come forward. They're questioning me on things I know nothing about. You ever been in that situation? Where you just got people all of a sudden accusing you of things that you never did and you never said, or they took something that you did and they took something that you said and they twisted it around and now all of a sudden you're being called to account for something you didn't do. Some of you right now, this morning, you are in that situation. They question me on things that I don't know nothing about. They repay me evil for good and they leave me like one bereaved. Listen to the psalmist here. He says, yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth. Like I loved them. I laid my life on the line for these people. I went out of my way to serve them. I humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. You ever been there? Your life is going down and you got people out there that are clapping their hands at that. (laughs) Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing, ceasing like the ungodly. They maliciously mocked. They gnashed their teeth at me. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Verse 23, awake, rise to my defense, contend. He says it again, my Lord and God, vindicate me in your righteousness. Don't let them gloat over me. Don't let them think, aha, just what we wanted or say, we've swallowed him up. But may all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. And may all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. And may those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, man, here's a verse to commit to memory. The Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servants. Do you know that? Do you know that God delights in your well-being? Do you know that God does not want adversaries nipping at your heels? Do you know that God intends for you to flourish and intends to establish you? Do you know that God intends for your life to work? The Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servant. And my tongue, the psalmist says, will proclaim your righteousness and your praises all day long. How many of you in this room, you have ever been in that situation? Raise your hands real high. Where your back was against the wall, raise them real high. Your back was against the wall and you called upon the Lord. Contend, O God, with those who contend with me. And God showed up and came to your defense. Friends, we got a testimony, don't we? We have known God to be the one who orders our lives towards righteousness. Amen? And I want to ask you, I'm going to invite you in a moment of vulnerability this morning. Because I felt so strongly about this this week. That there are some of us that our backs are against the wall right now. That this psalm is not a description of where we were once upon a time or where we will be in a few years, but this psalm is a description of what's happening right now. And I want to just ask you, if you're in that place right now where you're like, my back is against the wall and I have adversaries coming against me from every side and I'm really not sure how this is going to go, if that's you, would you stick your hand up real high? Do we have anybody in the room today that's in that place that you'd say, Andrew, that's me. Contend, oh Lord. Yeah, we got one right over here. Anybody else this morning? We got a couple right over here. Come on. 
I know some of you are like, well, mm, I don't, mm, I think it would be awkward if I put my hand up in the air, but you actually really desperately want to. Look, if you raise your hands real high again, folks, if, those are, if that's you, stick your hands up high. And if you're around these folks, would you just lay, touch it, lay your hand on their shoulder and extend your faith in their direction? The scripture says that wherever two or three come together in agreement, that Jesus Christ, the King, is right there in the midst of them. And so these situations right now, we declare that they have no authority. They have no authority in this place. They have no authority over the lives of your precious ones, oh God. And so we say with the psalmist, contend, O Lord, with those who are contending. But these are our people. These are our brothers and sisters. This is our family. And so we're saying, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with them. Fight against those who fight against them. Take up shield and javelin. Arise and come to their defense. We thank you that you've seen their heart, O God. We thank you that they're just like the psalmist, that when their adversaries were sick or in trouble, they bowed themselves with fasting. They refused to go with food. They cried out holy tears before you for the deliverance of these people that are now turning to attack them. And so we say, bring the disorder to an end in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We pray that the business situations that are stuck, that would be, uh, they would be unstuck. We pray that the relational situations that are not moving, that they would move in Jesus' name. We pray that all of the venom that is being spewed at these beloved sons and daughters of the living God, that that venom would fall to the ground and not touch our brothers and sisters. We thank you that even now you're establishing them in righteousness. And we thank you that the scripture says that if we ask anything according to your will, you hear us. And if we know that you hear us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of you. And so we believe that the deliverance is already given and we are looking forward to it being made manifest in space and time. Grant it, we pray in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen. You can take your seat again. It is the will of God to bring disorder to an end in God's good world. Second thing that I want to say to you, and with this we'll begin to make the turn into communion. And I'll take us back to the question that we asked at the start of our message here. How does this or that text reveal the eternal purpose of God in Jesus Christ, the true King? And one of the things that you see, I made mention of this, as you read the rest of First Kings chapter 2, and we don't have time to get into it, but Solomon's name means King of Peace. He is the one that brings about a certain measure of peace and order and stability in the kingdom. But the way that he goes about it in 1 Kings chapter 2 is unbelievably brutal. <laughs> These adversaries are not just sort of like negotiated with, and then it's like, well, now if you could go on your merry way. But each one of them in some form or fashion are either brought to a bloody end or they are sent away into exile. And so we get to this point at the end of the chapter where Solomon is wiping the hands, his blood, the blood off of his hands, and the narrator just kind of says, and now the kingdom was firmly established in Solomon's hands, and they all lived happily ever after, and we go, well, some of them did. <laughs> and I feel kind of uncomfortable, actually, about this, and I'm not sure what I should think even about my own discomfort. And I want to say to you that sometimes when we read the Bible and we have discomfort with it, there are times that our discomfort is a sign that there's a sanctification that needs to happen to us. But there are other times that we are uncomfortable with the text of Scripture and we're uncomfortable with it for all of the right reasons. 
And I want to suggest to you that if you read a text like 1 Kings chapter 2 and you witness the brutality of King Solomon and you feel a little uncomfortable with that, you feel some dissonance about that, it's not because you're an enlightened modern person who in a spirit of rebellion is just resisting the authority of Scripture. It is because you have been taught to know better in Jesus. Think about what Jesus himself says in the book of Luke chapter 6. He says, but I say to you who are listening, what are you going to do with your enemies? Bring them to death? You're going to be like King David? Hire a hitman to kind of take care of them? You know, oh yes, you know, I wish peace to those people, but hey, Solomon, if you could just kind of take care of my guys over here, you know. Now, what does Jesus say? This is what you're going to do to your enemies. You're going to love your enemies. Oof. And you're going to do good to those who hate you. And you're going to bless those who curse you. And you're going to pray for those who mistreat you. And if someone slaps you on the one cheek, you're going to turn to them the other also. And if someone takes your coat, you're not going to withhold your shirt from them. You're going to give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Verse 31, do to others as you would have them do unto you. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, a credit is that to you. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Verse 35. But you, what are you going to do? You're going to love your... And you're going to do good to them. And you're going to lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Verse 36. Be merciful just as who? Your Father in heaven is merciful. Solomon establishes the reign of God in Israel by shedding the blood of his enemies. You know how Jesus establishes the reign of God in his world? By allowing his own blood to be shed. He doesn't destroy the enemies. He destroys the evil in the enemies so that they become friends. Bernard of Clairvaux, the late monk of the Middle Ages, said that if God did not love his enemies, <laughs> he would have no friends. Do you know why any of us are in this room this morning? Because we once were the enemies of God. And God did not crush us. And God did not shed our blood. And God did not destroy us. But God poured his love and his life out upon us. And somehow that got down into the deeps. And it transformed us. And it made us who we are. Beloved children of God. The reign of God is not complete in God's world. Until the man from Nazareth in Galilee is pinned to the hardwood of the cross, his blood poured out for the life of the world. And that's saying something to us about how we think about our enemies. That we're not crying out, God crush them. Do you know what we're crying out? God, deliver them. Show your goodness to them and your mercy to them and deliver them safely into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning with that thought in your mind, can you stand to your feet? And as we prepare our hearts for the table, now we're gonna pray for all of those who are making our lives a living hell. And I know that we just prayed for, there were a couple folks that we prayed for this morning, but I know that there are a lot of us, probably most of us in this room, we've got somebody in our lives, maybe a whole chorus of people that are making our lives incredibly uncomfortable. 
And so now would you begin to do the Christian thing by the power of the Holy Spirit and do exactly what Jesus said. Would you begin to extend your love and your compassion and your prayer towards them? So Lord Jesus, we lift them up before you. The enemies of God that we're connected to, we're asking that you would help us see them with the eyes of faith. We pray that you would soften our hearts for them as your heart has been softened to us, as your heart is softened to us for all eternity. We pray that you would soften our hearts towards them, that our prayer would begin going their direction and our compassion would begin moving their direction. And we ask, the psalmist says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if they're thirsty, give them water to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their head and the Lord will reward you. We pray that as we go out of our way to love our enemies, we ask that the burning coals of conviction would fall upon them and that they'd be one in the kingdom of your beloved son. Grant that, we pray. And now we also pray as we prepare our hearts for the table. Now, Paul said to examine yourselves, to see whether you're in the faith, test yourselves. And so we're asking that you would take hatred and contempt out of us, we're asking that you would take antagonism and bitterness out of us. We're asking that rage and vengeful thoughts would be far from us. And we pray that by the Spirit, we would be made like Jesus Christ, who loved us when we were the enemies of God, even unto death. Transform us by his presence, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, I'm going to invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. Communion will be on my right and my left. As you come, you're going to exit up the center aisle here. You'll come forward and you'll receive a cracker in your hand and you'll dip it in the juice. And we believe that these things are not mere symbols, though they're certainly, certainly that. But we believe this morning that somehow what Jesus Christ does is he takes bread and he takes cup. The very one who poured out his life unto death recruits these symbols and he makes them vehicles of his presence. And so as you come this morning, come in faith. As you come this morning, come expecting to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. As you come this morning, come expecting to be changed by the presence of Jesus Christ. I say to you, these are the gifts of God and given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion. Oh, the perfect Son of God in all His innocence. You're walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. A man of sorrow, son of suffering. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? If there's a God who there's a God who weeps. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of suffering. Some imagine you are distant chased us down in merciful pursuit to the sinner you grace in the broken you embrace and in the end the proof is in your words yes in the end 
Hallelujah. 
God is for us. If God is for us, one more time, if God is for us, you're in our corner, oh God. You're in our corner. The psalmist says that you're perfecting the things that concern us. And so we pray finally this morning that you just help us relax into the strong arm of God the one who's making our lives right, making them beautiful, perfecting the things that concern us. Church, lift your hands like this. Receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you, all of you, every single one of you, in every way that you need it. And may he grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Don't I normally end with grace, mercy, and peace be with you or something like that? Just 42 years old, I turned this summer. The wheels are falling off. That's what's happening. Just getting old. Just kidding. I'm going to call our altar ministry team. I'm doing fine. Altar ministry team, come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, Remember, uh, if you didn't get a chance to sign up for Rooted, get on our wait list. Join us for Fellowship Hour Coffee and Donuts. Those are all the words that I have. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon.